Hey everyone, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And in today's video, I want to set the record straight. Uh, you might know him as Doubting Thomas, uh, but I think he's had a bad rap over the years. Hey guys, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I want to start by asking you a pretty personal question. Uh, the question is, have you ever had a crisis of faith? Have you ever had a crisis of faith? Now, there's a whole kind of myriad of ways that you can have a crisis of faith. For, for instance, perhaps you grew up in the church, and then you head off and you go to post-secondary like education, and at this point, like many of our institutes are, are, you know, rationalism and secularism are center stage as the belief system of the day. And perhaps you've had an intellectual crisis of faith. And I don't believe that's because Christianity doesn't stand up uh, to the scientific rigor. Uh, but we are just ill-equipped to dive in and walk through thoughtfully and critically what it means to be a Christian in a day when so much pushes against our belief system. You know, many have been shaken in their faith because of hurt and pain that they find in the world as well. This is another way that we can have a crisis of faith. Uh, personally, um, I'm going through a moment like this. Uh, it, within, I'm not going to get into it, but you know, these moments that you kind of shake your fists at the heavens, you kind of ask really hard questions of God. What is going on? If this is true, why is this happening? And we have these moments where hurt and pain and suffering in this world cause us to have maybe a crisis or have hard questions asked of God. Now, maybe you're here today and you're in the midst of a faith crisis. I don't know your story. I don't know your situation. But maybe right now, you're like, hey, Lucas, I am that person. I am having a crisis of faith, whether it's an intellectual crisis, a, a crisis as a result of uh, not being able to resolve these ideas of a good, good God and suffering in the world and suffering in your own life. Stick with us. I, I believe that today this message is for you. I think that there's something beautiful that can come out of these crises of faith in our lives. Um, we're going to be talking about the nature of faith today. In fact, my sermon is entitled The Nature of Faith. And, and for those of you that are joining for the first time, we are currently in a series through the Gospel of John. It's called The Gospel of John. We've been taking a journey through John's Gospel as he um, records eyewitness events of the life and the work and the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to John chapter 20. Verses 24 to 31. John 20, 24 to 31. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. We'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you're in the Powell River region, by the way, um, fill out the form on that page and we will get a paper Bible to you, uh, our gift to you. And so we'd love to serve you in that way. So John 20, 24 to 31. By the way, uh, only one more chapter to go. And we are going to be tying up our Gospel in John series. So that's exciting. 
So here we go, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, uh, we covered this already. Pastor Lisa, a couple weeks ago, spoke of Thomas. And though that's true, uh, we, we felt that we needed to go back in order to go forward here. Uh, Pastor Lisa, she spoke more so about Jesus and the grace Jesus extended Thomas in this moment. But I want to kind of dig into the humanity of Thomas here. Because I think there's something um, that kind of comes out as we look at the humanity of some of the characters in the biblical narrative. Because we see them, um, not just as them, but we kind of see ourselves oftentimes reflected in their story, reflected in their attitude, re- reflected in their perspective. And so there's kind of something beautiful that comes with that reflection. And sometimes there's like a horror that comes as we kind of see ourselves in some of these people within the narrative. And so we're going to just dig, dig in. So before we go on, let, let me ask you the question. Why is Thomas the only disciple of Jesus who had to walk through a week of agony in his faith? What, what, why is that? Because he was not with the other disciples when Jesus showed up the first time. Jesus showed up in that upper room and appeared to the disciples and Thomas was not there. And so he went through this week of agony as these eyewitnesses are telling him that they saw Jesus. They saw him resurrected. They saw him in the flesh. And he's like, no way, no how, unless I see it myself, I will not believe. We all deal with pain differently. Uh, Some of us, we run to people. Uh, But for some of us, we deal with pain in a way that causes us to isolate ourselves away. Uh, Maybe even like a low-grade depression that causes us to be isolated, to push those that are closest to us away and kind of wallow in our solitude, so to speak. Um, I'm not going to judge too harshly Thomas here because I am the same way. My personality type, the way I deal with suffering and pain and processing is I either kind of isolate myself away from people, which drives my wife nuts, or um, isolate that issue away from my mind. Just get busy enough with other things that I don't have to think about it. I don't have to be in it. I don't have to be feeling it. We, We call that compartmentalization. Uh, Therapists call that job security (laughs) because eventually we're going to need a therapist if that's the way that we're going to walk out in this life. You know, the fact is pain suffered alone is a pain that ends up bleeding out in other ways. And it bleeds out over people that are closest to us. It bleeds out in anger, frustration, depression, and sometimes addiction as we seek to self-medicate that pain. In Thomas's case, the pain of the loss of Jesus, it isolated him away from his fellow disciples. And he missed the moment of this revelation of the resurrected Jesus. Barclay, he writes of this moment. He made one mistake. 
He withdrew from the Christian fellowship. He sought loneliness rather than togetherness. And because he was not there with his fellow Christians, he missed the first coming of Jesus. We miss a great deal when we separate ourselves from the Christian fellowship and try to be alone. We, we do the same today. How often do you see um, those walking through pain or suffering um, or loss isolating themselves from community of faith? There, there, there is a theology in our biblical worldview that speaks to the gathering. It speaks to the importance of gathering together with fellow believers. You know, other than Mary Magdalene, uh, all of the other appearances of Jesus in the flesh post-resurrection were to groups of people, two or more. Two or more people. Bruce Milne, he writes, Christ has promised to be with his people, even two or three gathered in his name. That's, that's a reference from Matthew 18 to 20, the words of Jesus. We are always more likely to find him in the company of the faithful than in a lonely vigil. Can, can, you, can you just process that? Think about that. Be challenged by that. We are always more likely to find him in the company of the faithful than in a lonely vigil. Now, this isn't to say that solitude with Jesus is not valuable. It's just that there, there is a manifestation of his presence that's only found in the gathering of his people. Now, I want to caveat this moment because I know for some of you watching today, the gathering of his people is not the wise thing for you to do because of health issues and other things. So that's not what we're talking about. Walk in wisdom. But what we're talking about is a mentality, an attitude that says, I can do this faith thing alone. And though you can, though you can in a, in a limited way, in a very one-dimensional way, you will not grow to the fullness of the potential God has placed in you without fellow believers. When, when you're tempted by crisis to remove yourself from proximity to his people, you may very well miss out on the very thing that you're looking for in a revelation of Jesus. It's found in the relationships. It's found in the preaching of God's word. It's found in the worship, the corporate worship of his church. It's, it's found in the gifts of the spirit being spoken over your life. It's found in these kind of beautiful ways of the gathered people. And this is why making a commitment to the gathering of believers in community faith is so crucial to your journey of faith. That's why one of our values here at Evangel Church is you were made for community. Welcome home. You were made for community. Welcome home. Now, if you're taking notes, uh, the heading for this next moment is the agony of faith. I know, exciting, uh, uplifting, encouraging. The agony of faith. And this is not an original idea. I do have to give props to uh, the former First Baptist minister in Vancouver, uh, Pastor Bruce Milne, who writes a commentary on John. But Thomas, I believe, gets a pretty bad rap from this account. He, he gets a pretty poor representation 
of his character from this account. And, and over the years, he's been known by this moniker, Doubting Thomas. What a negative kind of thing to be known as. But I, I think that we don't do the journey of faith Thomas took justice. Because so many of us take the same journey of faith. And, and if it was a matter of this being completely the wrong way, then Jesus wouldn't have shown up to reveal himself to Thomas in the way that he did. But Jesus cares about those that take this path. Deep doubts, deep skepticism, deep searching and questions. That's okay. But why do we talk about this as the agony of faith? Well, if you're writing, if you're writing notes, write, write this down. The nature of faith wars against the fallen nature of humanity. Maybe I should even reverse that. The nature of fallen humanity wars against the nature of faith. And, and I would dare say that this is probably true more today than it ever has been in all of history. C consider Thomas' requirements for belief here. What, what does he say? He says, unless I see his hands, right? See with my eyes, his hands of the nails with the mark of the nails and place my finger. So I want to, I want to not only just see, I want to physically touch to confirm that this is indeed Jesus and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Now, I, I believe that this sentiment of Thomas is more true and, and perhaps a greater kind of sticking point for us today than it ever has been before. We live in a time when it seems that rationalism and secularism ironically kind of rule the day. And, and I say ironically because we define rationalism as a belief, a belief or theory that actions should be based on reason and knowledge and not on religious belief or emotional response. But here's what I find kind of ironic about that is, is even the rationalist has to walk by faith on their presupposition. Thomas refuses to believe without greater proof or evidence. And so Thomas is making a stand here. He will not believe until he has greater evidence. And Faith requires kind of too much of a leap for Thomas in this moment to simply believe the eyewitness accounts of the disciples. He, he just doesn't seem to be able to get over that hump. And faith is at war with the human condition because faith demands that we step into the space between knowledge and that very real encounter with God. And there's a space in between those two things. And this is the realm of of faith. This is the realm of stepping out without actually seeing what we're stepping into. Now, before we get too ahead of ourselves, um, many rationalists today, they define faith this way. Faith is belief without evidence. I've heard some very famous um, atheists in, in the marketplace of ideas today would use this definition that, that Christianity perpetuates and preaches a faith without evidence. But that is not in any way, shape, or form the biblical worldview. We have faith because of the evidence. 
We have faith because of the evidence, both evidence in what we can see, but also in what we experience on the other side of that leap of faith. For many of us, you know that you know that you know that you've had an encounter with God because you took that step of faith and you had an experience and a revelation of Jesus, alive and well, seated at the right hand of the Father. But faith in God, it's, it's more often than not sparked by the evidence that is all around us. Hebrews 11, 1 to 3 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. <laughs> so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. There is an assurance, a conviction. N notice <laughs> that last line, that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. In other words, the only thing that connects causation to creation is God intelligent design. Faith is the bridge we cross to walk in the conviction of that belief. And when we take that step, we, we go as far as knowledge and intellect can take us. And then there's this, this gap where we step out in faith and go, I choose to believe. And on the other side of that step, there is a very real metamorphosis of ourselves as we say yes to Jesus. And we have this encounter with the living God. Faith is both intellectual as well as experiential. And faith is the gap in between the step that we take to bring those two worlds together. So it's not a blind belief. You know, Thomas, he had eyewitness accounts. He had the other disciples convinced that they saw the resurrected Jesus. Uh, if Thomas had taken the time, he would have went back to the Old Testament. Then he would look at all the prophecies about the Messiah and he would have saw how those Old Testament prophecies lined up perfectly with the life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus specifically. If he had gone into um, just thoughtfully thinking through Jesus' teachings, he would have saw that Jesus alluded to this moment. He alluded to his resurrection in his own teaching. There's evidence after evidence after evidence for Thomas to consider. We, we see the intelligence and the creativity of God through all of creation. You know, from the beauty to the complexity and the fine-tuning of our solar system. Faith, faith is not blind. Faith opens our eyes. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus extends a beautiful grace to Thomas. He gives him the opportunity to satisfy the requirements that he had for belief in Jesus. And I think this is such a beautiful kind of grace that Jesus extends to Thomas. But what's so impactful is what happens to Thomas after this event. 
There is an assurance of faith that Thomas receives in this moment. And this is what I want to focus on. Here, here is a man who didn't, he didn't go with the status quo. There's something very honorable about Thomas. Uh, William Barclay writes of Thomas, but Thomas had two great virtues. He absolutely refused to say that he understood what he did not understand or that he believed what he did not believe. There is an uncompromising honesty about Thomas. Can you picture Thomas? He's all alone in this moment. All of the other disciples, they've seen Jesus. He is the only standout. He is the only one that is not convicted and convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. But things change significantly after this encounter with Jesus as Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. Barclay goes on, he would never still his doubts by pretending that they did not exist. He was not the kind of man who would rattle off a creed without understanding what it was all about. Thomas had to be sure, and he was quite right. In, in memoriam, Tennyson wrote, There lives more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. What a beautiful kind of picture. There lives more faith in honest doubt, believe me, than in half the creeds. If you're taking notes, write this down. There is an assurance of faith that honest doubt can lead you to. There is an assurance of faith that honest doubt can lead you to. Now, I'm not talking about willfully willfully ignoring the evidence, willfully not wanting this to be true. Like, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about honest doubt, the the true seeker for truth. There's something powerful about the assurance that you will come to in your faith as you have a revelation of Jesus on the other side of that step of faith. Now, after this moment of encounter with Jesus, after all of his doubts were, were put to rest, Thomas is all in. We, we have some pretty good historical evidence that Thomas went east and brought the gospel into India. And there's a lot of lore and, and kind of tradition around his ministry there. But our understanding is that Thomas ended up giving up his life in India for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a deep level of faith that we can come to that is only found when we walk through doubts and the crises of faith. Don't don't ever underestimate the roots, the deep roots of faith that crisis can afford you. There's something powerful about those seasons of our lives. William Barclay writes, he was not airing his doubts just for the sake of mental acrobatics. He doubted in order to become sure. He doubted in order to become sure. And when he did, his surrender to certainty was complete. And when people fight their way through their doubts to the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, they have attained to a certainty that those who unthinkingly accept things can never reach. There's something powerful about this moment in Thomas' life. There's something powerful about us walking through our honest doubts and Jesus revealing himself and bringing a conviction 
and, and a culmination of all these things into our lives. There's a certainty, there's an assurance, there's a boldness that comes out of these moments. Jesus said to him, verse 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do, do you know who Jesus is talking about here? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's he talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking about those that were not afforded the ability to have an eyewitness moment of the burial, resurrection, the cross, the ministry of Jesus in this world. He's talking about us. And there's a blessing. There's a special grace that's extended to those who arrive at a faith in Jesus without having seen him in the flesh. There's this kind of commendation given to those who arrive at faith in Jesus based on the evidence that we do have, the eyewitness accounts of his resurrection, the, the evidence in creation that speaks to an intelligent designer, the work of the Spirit who reveals Jesus to us through the proclamation of the gospel. Why, why is there a special blessing? Because you step beyond the realms of the temporal and you took that leap of faith to meet Jesus. Why are, you, why are you convinced of your faith? Well, it's because Jesus showed up on the other side of your leap of faith and the, and the spirit of truth convinced you of the validity of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Not, not as a concept, but as the person of God available for relationship with you. The Holy Spirit gives you your own kind of personalized experience in his presence. He gave Thomas everything that Thomas had said he needed for belief. I believe that he can do the same for us. I, th I think that that grace that he extended to Thomas, he extends to the one walking with honest doubt, with honest questions, seeking truth in this world. But now we come to what scholars believe to be kind of the original closing of John, uh, verses 30 to 31. The, the next chapter seems to be a bit of an appendix. And so uh, we're going to deal with that a little bit later. But for today, this is in, in all intents and purposes, the culmination, the, the summary moment that John wants to bring everything to a close with. In verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is where we wanted to get to today. Sometimes you got to go backwards to move forwards. This account of Thomas, it's, it's so kind of a part of the purposes of this summary statement for John's gospel. And it's important to note that John was not setting out to write a historical document. He, he wasn't setting out to write a biography of Jesus. The purpose in his writing was to convince you that Jesus is who he said he was and that he rose from the grave to confirm it. This was the purpose of John's gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
Now, John, he wrote the account with the purpose of revealing Jesus to generations long after he is gone. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were aware that eyewitness accounts would be so important to perpetuating the gospel message beyond their time. And, and many of them gave their lives to this idea. They gave their lives to this truth that they wanted to bring to the world, what we would call the gospel. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, still with those of this world that believe with all of their hearts, who have experienced the grace and the love of their Savior in this world. This is so profound, and I, and I close with this. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And, and be assured, as you take the leap from what you can see into what you cannot see, the Holy Spirit will meet you there in the middle. He will meet you there in that leap of faith, and He will reveal the resurrected Jesus to you. If you find yourself in a crisis of faith, he will find you there as well. Don't pull away from community of faith. Don't seek to journey on your own. There's something so dynamic and special about the moving of the Spirit in the gathering of his saints. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you saw fit to inspire these writers of the Gospels to give us an account that convinces us and convicts us that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the sent one from God that came to live a perfect life, to show us a better way, to sacrifice himself for our sake, to extend that life, that resurrection life that he walked in to us. And all we have to do is accept his work for us and to walk in his ways out of, out of an inspiration and a motivation of love and to know him relationally. And so, Lord, we pray that each one hearing this, that, Lord God, you would cause us to go deeper in our faith, that, Lord, you would cause us and you would join us in these honest doubts as we walk through faith, the agony of faith, the human nature warring against the nature of faith. Lord, would you be with us in the midst of all of it? And as we say yes to Jesus, as we take that step of faith, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal Jesus to us in beautiful, profound, personal ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us, friends. God bless you. Have a great week.